that are represented here, Lord, I pray that you would help us to open our hearts, minds, and souls today to the lesson, and that you would help Michael today as he preaches the word to us and, and talks to us about evangelizing to the lost, and help us, Lord, to have the heart and compassion that we need for those that don't know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, uh, Mario and Pastor Steve and Ken, and uh, for allow me to do this. Uh, this is a real pleasure and it's a real, it's, it can be a kind of a uh, little bit, um, you know, when you're not used to doing this, so you have to collect my thoughts. So forgive me if I kind of, you know, stumble over my words. I will be doing a little bit of reading uh, uh, because this is the information, some of this is the information I never heard before, especially this, uh, this one thing about fear, okay? <coughs> I was gonna share something and I will share one incident. I want to make this as quick as possible. I don't want to go any over any more than uh, you know, 45 minutes. I like to keep it a half hour if possible. Anyway, one of the things that got me about fear is I'm a realtor. And I, I sold a number of homes before. But, and I sold in 2017 and 18, I sold two homes. And uh, Mario asked me to sell his home. And I went by and I just see his home and I, this is a beautiful home, okay? And I thought, so when he told me what he wanted to list it for, I thought it was a little bit trepidation because I had never ever sold this type of a home before in such a beautiful area and so forth. The smallest amount I ever sold was 200,000 and, and upwards. <clears throat> so anyway, Mario, and I, Mario doesn't know the story. So I'm, so I, so Mario came, I went by, I gave him a listing. I mean, gave him, uh, he, he accepted me to be the sell, the, uh, listing agent and he wanted to list it for 1.8 million. And I thought, oh my goodness. Okay. So I said, sure, I'd do it. But then he called me back things two weeks later and said, hey, you know what? I think we're going to go another route. Uh, we have a family member that's interested in purchasing the house. And I said, oh, I said, no problem. Great. And I said, Phew. Man, okay, because there was fear. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling a $1.9 million, $8 million house. So then uh, Mario calls me back and said, Mike, Michael, it didn't work out, so I'm going to have you sell a house. So I said, no problem. And so God worked on me during that time. And so, and one thing I learned selling a $1.9 million and a $200,000 house, it's the same paperwork. It's the same paperwork, okay? It's your mental thought is where I was, okay? And so, and actually, it was the easiest sale because they actually moved out the house. The house sold itself. You got five TVs on the uh, sound system he left. It was just gorgeous. So it ended up selling for $1.9 million. So my, my thought is, why am I allowing that fear? to dictate my life, and that's what it did. So I want to thank, uh, he, didn't know, he didn't know this. <laughs> this is the first he heard about that. So I thank you, Mario, for, for, for having that confidence in me. Okay, what do you fear, part one? According to the National Institute of Mental Health, between 5 and 12.5% 12 of Americans have at least one phobia. Phobias are the most common mental illnesses among women of all ages. And they are the second most common mental illnesses among 
men older than 25. Phobia is a term that refers to a group of symptoms brought on by feared objects or situations. Now, there's going to be some words on here. I'm not, I can't pronounce, so I probably won't even pronounce them. But okay, people can develop phobic reactions to animals such as snakes, spiders, acti activities such as getting on airplanes or social situations like eating in public or simply being out in public at all. Phobias can interfere with a person's ability to work, socialize, and go about a daily routine. <clears throat> they may focus on something as common as bacteria, or they may arise whenever a person ventures from home. Phobias can range from a very common acrophobia, which is the fear of heights, or claustrophobia, the fear of confined spaces, down to the bizarre exanophobia, the fear of the color yellow. As strange as that might sound, some people actually suffer from this. Psychologists have identified hundreds, perhaps even thousands of phobias. Excuse me. As further examples, people have been known to fear darkness, insects, riding in cars, thunder and lightning, moving to new houses, snow, clowns, I can understand clowns when I was a little kid. That's just scary. <laughs> Bicycles and having definite plans. It's called telephobia. And some fear their relatives. Xenophobia. There is an even, there's even a phobia called whatever it is, which is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <clears throat> People with these various phobias have more than just a slight aversion to the objects or situation. They experience feelings of panic, dread, or terror. Their symptoms often include a rapid heartbeat, shortness of breath, trembling, and an overwhelming desire to f flee the situation. At the core of these, uh, these reactions is an irrational fear that causes a debilitating response. This exposition is not intended to make light of these conditions because as it says there but for the grace of god go i however even if we do not have extreme phobias most of us still have to deal with the other fears fears insecurities and anxieties because of satan's influence in the world fear plays a significant part in the human condition while we may not have difficult breathing or increased heart rate when, the, when we encounter certain situations, our fears and insecurities still evoke reactions with us. And this is what I never, I've read this verse many times before and never saw it. But the cowardly, NIV says the fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Turn to Romans 21. I'm sorry, Revelation 21, verse 8. Actually, we're going to start in verse 7. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, Revelation... Chapter 20, I'm sorry, Revelation 21. Revelations 21 at verse, 
7. I guess if, okay, it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as far as the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Never saw that. Fear, it's, it's a bad thing. And this is, what I, this is what really helped me to learn that I need to work on any fear that I have. It should not be there. We're all in a working process. No one's going to do this stuff perfectly. Okay. But I think if we have a sin level here, as a Christian, it should be going down, down. Like uh, um, uh, Amari was saying yesterday, one of the gentlemen that was taking the uh, warriors, um, I forget the name of the, the service, that was the series that we're doing, Every Man and a Warrior, he was saying he took that, that class and he learned more in that, those 15 days or whatever than he learned over the 15 years. That's not good. I mean, if we've been in the Word 15 years and we just took a class that helped us to grow on a short period of time, that's, I'm, uh, in that long period of time, that's not good. Anyway, this subject of fear is significant enough that God consigns the fearful to the lake of fire. The word translated as fearful or cowardly, according to Strong's concordance, means timid and by implication, faithless. To understand why fear would prohibit entrance into God's kingdom, first notice the word but at the beginning of Revelation 21. Connecting this thought with the one before it, by contrast, verse 7 reads, in part, he who overcomes will inherit all things. This contrast shows that fearfulness is in opposition to overcoming, and all Christians should be well aware of how vital overcoming is to their spiritual lives. Fear keeps a Christian from overcoming, and verse 7 shows only <clears throat> those who overcome will inherit all things. Why does fear inhibit overcoming? Recall the phobias mentioned above. If a man has a fear of water, he will not be inclined to go to the beach or the pool. If a woman has a fear of flying in an airplane, uh, aviophobia, <clears throat> she is forever consigned to making long trips by car. If an individual has fear of public places, <clears throat> excuse me, one will never catch him or her at a crowded park, a busy mall, or any other large social gatherings. These examples demonstrate that fear limits us. Since our fears, anxieties, and insecurities influence our decisions, they end up limiting our behavior. Just as the proper fear of God will limit sinful actions, our irrational fears will limit our actions too, but the effect will not be good. The phobias mentioned earlier are significant because of the debilitating effects that they have on a person's ability to conduct his or her life, even more demanding to that, even more, even more demanding to those that God has called are the fears that inhibit their spiritual lives. These fears may not leave a person sweating or short of breath, but they negatively influence his or her actions just the same. Our fears may limit our usefulness to God, 
For example, if we are overly concerned about what people think of us, we may not be inclined to reach out to others and allow God to use us to do good works. Our fear, out of fear, we may bury our spiritual gifts. We may, we are terrified if we are terrified of strangers. We may have difficult time, difficulty time making an effective witness to those outside our comfort zone. If we fear the opinions of others, we may let that overshadow our decisions to do what's right, the right thing. Perhaps we fear losing control or some aspect of our lives. Maybe we fear not being provided for or not receiving what we feel we deserve. We may fear the unknown people or situation and frequently anything we do not understand can seem like a threat. We may fear not receiving love or attention or be anxious about uh, not being accepted. And go ahead and t start turning Ephesians 4.22, please. <clears throat> and then we're going to go to uh, Colossians 8.9. Okay, it says, we may fear sacrificing ourselves or something else we may need to give up to follow this way of life completely. Perhaps we fear changing, giving up parts of our lives or personalities to put off the old man. <clears throat> it says, put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and, the corrupt, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So we need that if... That is so important that we put off those things. Many times, how can I put it? It's a hindrance to us when we don't put off those things that, that cause us to have fear. It is. It's just a hindrance. We're not doing what God has called us to do because we're allowing those fears to, to affect us. In Colossians 3, 8, 9. But now we must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obstinence talk from your mouth. These things that we got to put away because they're not, they're not a good witness to us. If, if believers, are, if non-believers are seeing us acting in such a way, it's not a good witness. No, it's not a good witness. What we fear will find is, what we fear we will find if we truly look inside and examine our own hearts, we may fear appearing foolish or wrong. All of these fears will inhibit our overcoming. They all indicate that on some level, we fear people, situations, or personal change more than we fear God. More significantly, if a fear becomes larger than God in practical effect, in practical fact, it will replace God, and that is a form of idolatry. Hard. That's hard. That's hard. You can turn to uh, first, 2 Timothy 1.6. 
I'll say the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 shows us how we can conquer our fears. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In verse seven, we see fear contrasts the power, love and sound Contrast love and the sound mind. Earlier in the chapter, Paul discusses another opposite of fear, faith. To create a mental image of these elements, think of a pair of scales. On one side is fear, and the other side is faith, power, love, and sound mindness. If a person allows fears to lead him other than a proper fear of God, then his faith the faith, power, and love, and sound mindness will decrease. So if those things, if we're not having the proper faith that the fear of God, then those other fears that we have are going to overshadow that. Okay? They're going to overshadow that. So the proper fear is it's so important that God is the one that we fear. We fear our sinning. Okay? We fear that what we're going to be representing to the world, because once we do things that are contrary to the word of God, what it does, it makes God look bad. It really does. It makes God look bad. Not that he is, but that's in the eyes of the non-believer. Okay. Fear will inhibit our actions of God's spirit within an individual, keeping him from being effective for God's purpose. But if the fair, faithful person fears God instead and makes the use of the gifts of God gives through the Holy Spirit, the fear on the other side will, in, will, will increase. So the fear of God on the other side will go higher. If we're fearing God, that scale is more balanced out because we're feeling God and those, those fear of man goes down. Does that make sense? Okay. So notice the antidote to fear derived from one of God's gifts to us. This world tells us that in order to overcome fear, we just need more self-confidence or more, more self-confidence or self-esteem. But this is short, but this short passage indicates that boldness and fearlessness are products of God's spirit, not virtues we work on our own selves. Courage is not a matter of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstrap or working it by the strength of our will. Our confidence and esteem should be in not in self, but in God, because we are defined moral and it, we are by definition moral and corrupt. By contrast, God is eternal and perfect and everything he does always produces the best results. We can make no such claim, not by a long shot. We can be confident knowing that he always gives us the necessary, uh, he always gives us what is necessary to carry out his purpose, but we still have to put it to good use. Stir it up, as Paul writes in verse 6. Now, one of the things that, that, that really helped me is what is boldness? A lot of people, so in the contrast of fear, you got to, we should have boldness. The boldness is having the courage to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of opposition. 
We have to ask ourselves, are we cowardly Christians or are we bold Christians? Boldness, what is it? I tell you what it's not. It's not arrogance. It's not the ability to put the finger in someone's face and tell them off. It's not rude or crude. Some people think that they are bold when they're really just being, when they're really just being arrogant. And they have bad manners and sometimes even bad breath. That's, that's not boldness. Okay. That's not bold. Those people turn more people off than they bring to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be gentle, apt to teach, and nothing given, and nothing given offense. So going around getting in people's faces is not necessarily being bold. And boldness is not presumption where you're just doing things to show that you have the courage to do that. Okay, that's, that's not boldness. What is the basis of our boldness? It is linked to the Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity. And we're going to see that right now, this is how we become a bold Christian. These three things keep you from being a cowardly Christian and being intimidated by the devil. The Bible says that we are to be in nothing terrified by our adversaries. If we are there, and if there ever was a time that we needed to be bold, this is the time, this is the day, and this is the hour. Acts 4, chapter 8 through 13. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4. Verse 8 through 13. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all that, and to you, and that all, all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou crucified, whom thou raised from the dead, by this, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. Now then, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished, that, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's the key. It's like Jesus walks and talks with us every day. I come to the garden alone where the dew is still on the rainbow, and a voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. When we're taking Jesus Christ with us, when we're out sharing the gospel, is he going to abandon us? No, he's not going to abandon us. But are we allowing the fear to stop us from having a conversation? Why? Because we're not remembering that we're with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways that we get over fear is knowing that Jesus Christ is coming with us in everything we do, every place we go. And so that's so, so important. And I, I remember, uh, um, 
uh, Agent Rogers told a story one time where he was a young kid, I think like 15 years old, and his mother had the assignment to go out and do a survey, okay, of knock on doors and doing surveys about how many people were Christian. Well, uh, and his mother said, okay, we'll do that. But then he gave the assignment to Agent, she gave the assignment to Agent Rogers. So she said, go ahead and do this. And, you know, he had some fear, you know, he was, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to meet when I knock on that door? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm not ready for this, Lord. And he said he heard a small voice said, go forth and make disciples. I am with you. I am with you. We're to go forth and make disciples. The only thing that really stops us is our fear. And we're not prepared. One of the things that's so important is that we, there are certain scripts. Now, I'm not, uh, there are certain scripts that are really good. You don't have to use them verbatim, but make them your own. Make those script strips your own. Because people can tell when it's, you know, it's, uh, you're just reading off a script. And so the only way that we're going to be able to do that is spend time, okay? And this last thing I want to share, I should be done. Um, There's something else that kind of smacked me in the face. Self-complacent procrastination. I want to focus on verse 17. So James 4, 15 through 17. James chapter 4. Verse 15 and 17. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As you boast in your arrogance, as it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whosoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now that man knew what he ought to do, but he didn't do it. He was aware of God's will, but he doesn't do it. Procrastination may be the biggest problem that most of us have today. It is a very deceptive sin. Other sins are very obvious. Drunkenness, stealing, hate, of uh, violence, All these are very obvious. Procrastination is so deceptive. Many of us think that we're doing good if we don't do the the 12 dirty dozen sins. Okay. Um, We have our little list of sins and we say, well, I don't do those things. I'm fine. But most of us don't think that procrastination is a sin. Now, the Bible says that to him that knows to do good, but that does not do it, it is sin. It is a greater sin to fail to do what you ought to do than to do what you ought not to do. Now, most of us don't believe that, but I believe that. The Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches that the sins of omission are greater than the sins of commission. 
It's very simple. If you think about it, why is it greater than the, the sin? Why is it a greater sin to fail to do what you ought to do than to do what you ought not to do? Simple. If you're doing what you ought to do, you can't do what you ought not to do. But even if you are not doing what you ought not do, you still won't be doing what you ought to do. So it is a greater sin to fail to do what you ought to do than to do what you ought not to do. The sins of omission are greater than the sins of commission. Because there's things, now this is, this is what really, it really helped me. What is the sins of omission? Why does he say, therefore to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. What knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's not the, it's not that the man says, I will never do it. He just doesn't do it. It is self-complacent procrastination. Why is this sin of omissions, omission and procrastination so dangerous and deceptive? It is the reason that people are lost. Why do people go to hell today? Because they lie, steal, commit adultery? No. Now those sins are worthy of the damas. But those sins have been paid for. Now, a reason that a person is lost today simply is because he failed to do what he ought to do. John three eighteen, Jesus said, he that believes on him is not condemned. But he that does not believe on him is condemned already. Because he has not believed. No longer is a man condemned to hell because he's a sinner. But those sins have, because those sins have been paid for. He that believeth on him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he does not believe. So basically what he's saying, you're already lost. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're already lost. And what the, way, the reason why a person can get enter into heaven is because they believed on the name Jesus Christ. Okay? They believed on the name Jesus Christ. Now, like I said, those sins will send you to hell. But if those sins have been paid for already, but if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will spend all eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the sin of omission is kind of, uh, it's like we ought to do, we should do, okay, for instance, if we don't go out and we're not sharing the gospel, what are we called to do? Someone, we're called to be what? Disciples. If we're not out going, making disciples, we're not doing what we ought to do. God has called us. I don't care if it's our fears or whatever fears we have. It should be a burning desire on our heart to share the gospel, especially now, especially now, this is what we ought to do. Okay. So, I mean, that's basically it, what I'm saying, but 
I think we need to reevaluate ourselves, seeing if it's our fears that are causing us to not go forth, or is it our lack of love for the Lord Jesus Christ that is causing us not to go out and share the gospel. But this is the time that we need to do it. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I think it's the people in this room and all the other churches in the world that we have to step up and do what we ought to do. We ought to share the gospel. And let's get out of our excuses. I'm smacking my own self in the face. Okay? I'm, 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 this scripture hit me like never before. Sure, I get out and I share the gospel, but is it a passion? Is it a passion? And I know we all have our own ways of evangelizing. Yeah, but every person, and this isn't going to always happen, I, I think it's important you bring a track with you. Okay? Sometimes it's not always available to share the gospel. Well, you got a track? Boom. Ray Comfort says he will give a person $1,000 if he's ever caught without a track. $1,000. He always keeps a track on that. I, I guarantee you. And so tracks, you know, a lot of people boohoo tracks. And the tracks have got to be a gospel track. Uh, one that explains the gospel, but I know people who have been saved because they use the gospel track. They weren't ready to hear it at that time, but they put it on their coffee table. There's one gentleman that I knew. He put it on this coffee table, and he was he had some real problems, and he just happened to pick that up, and he gave his life to the Lord. The word of God never becomes uh, comes back void. It never. So my exhortation or exhortation to me. It's to do what we ought to do, okay? It's to have that boldness that we need to have as we go forth and share the gospel. Because Jesus Christ, one day we're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, I don't know what he's going to say. I mean, (laughs) but, you know, it's going to, I want to be able to look him in the eyes and say, you know, Lord, I didn't do it right all the time, but I did my best. And we're not going to do it all right all the time but it's important that we get, go forth and share the gospel with people because it's going to, a lot of people getting lost okay last thing I want to say and this is what last Monday I was riding I was riding my bus I had to go to West Valley College and I was thinking okay what am I going to do when I meet people what am I going to say and I had a thought that says, this could be the last day, or I meet someone, this could be the last day of your life. Where do you think you're going to spend eternity? And so I, I mulled this over in my mind. I got back off my bus, and I parked my bus, and my supervisor came and said, wow, do you know Forget Tree died? Boom, like that. It was the last day of his life. And that just that incident right there, right there just showed me how we don't know. A lot of people say, well, I'll do it some other day. Well, they don't, they don't know. So that's one of the techniques I'm going to use. You know, so if I don't get a chance to, to uh, you know, share the gospel, I've got a track coming. I'm not going to say I'm going to give you $1,000 if I don't have a track. <laughs> but uh, my goal is to have something to at least um, be able to give to someone. So... Well, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for uh, this opportunity to share these thoughts that 
uh, you have touched my heart with, Father. I don't, I, I'm hoping it was clear. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that we uh, have a passion uh, for the lost. Uh, Father, because the Lord Jesus Christ had that passion for us. We were lost. And he left his throne from heaven and he came down here and he paid the price for our sins that we could all be in this room right now. And by the, uh, the Holy Spirit, and he sent the Holy Spirit in us so that we could have that courage. We could have that boldness because he lives within us. He lives within us. Do we believe that? Or are we going to allow the, our fears or uh, our procrastination to be uh, something that stops us? From glorifying God, because the more people, Lord God, that we bring into the kingdom will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ for what he did. And so, Father, I just thank you and uh, for these group of men here. God, I know you're going to work in their hearts. And like I said, we are God, we are working process, process. And I, I just forgive. I thank you for forgiveness when we fall short. But let's make it a goal. We pray that we will do better if it's just. Make a goal to at least bring one priest person to the Lord. Believe that you're going to touch someone's heart because we had the boldness to go forth and share the gospel. I thank you for this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.